Last year was the first year in the history of Google when they sent less traffic to websites than the year prior. Still more traffic than in 2018, and Google is still one of the best sources of traffic that you can get to your website, don't get me wrong. But still, a number of large changes that they have applied to the way search works has made old-school SEO concept kind of obsolete at this point. One of them being the use of search volume to pick topics to write about. So in this episode, we tell you why. Let's get started. Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. No hype, no BS, no censorship. Just real-life online marketing tactics. And now your hosts, Gail Breton and Mark Webster. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Atari Hacker Podcast. At this point, you probably gave up all your New Year resolution already. So I hope, you know, some of them are still surviving. I'm going to start with my classic, how's it going, Mark? How's it going, Mark? Uh, it's going great, as always. Thanks for asking, Gail. Actually, at the time at which this episode is released, you are in Bali or something like that. So I guess, I guess life's not too bad. Yeah, tough life, tough January. <laughs> yeah, okay. I will be in cold Budapest to kind of like hold the, the ship, like make sure nothing nothing goes crazy. But that is not what we're talking about in this podcast. It's actually going to be like a short and sweet one, but I think it's a very important point that a lot of people need to internalize, which is why we're doing it. It's not complete news, but I think it's quite important to understand how irrelevant search traffic has become in the last two years. And it's funny because uh, search volume de facto became like the, the number one essentially keyword research criteria that a lot of people use to pick keywords to write about because you're like, well, you know, uh, people are Googling they are Googling this query, let's say a thousand times a month and Google returns 10 results. So at least that's how it used to be. And then there is data out there that says, okay, number one gets X number of clicks and uh, like percentage and number two gets this and number three gets this. And so therefore I can kind of guess like how much traffic I guess if I, let's say rank number three for this, then is it worth it for me or not? And And that was... Uh, in my opinion, one of the I put epitome in the in the in the notes. I was quite proud of myself to write that epitome of SEO not being an exact science. It's, it's pronounced epitome. Really? Okay. Well, yes. I don't know. In French, you say epitome, so I'll just say I'll say it that way. Well, when we do our French podcast, we can say epitome. Then I guess I'll be talking a lot more than you then. But yeah, okay. <laughs> Anyway, it is, in my opinion, it was kind of a shitty way of doing things, but it's, it's gotten shittier. And even when Google was like still displaying 10, essentially, website links, it was still quite not accurate. First of all, because search volume has always been a yearly average of search volume. So like it would not take into account any kind of seasonality or anything. So, you know, like a lot of niches, if you're in like gardening, for example, you see that like there's a lot of search volume in spring, but like in winter, there's not so much. It dies off, etc. And search volume did not respect, uh, reflect that at all. So people who use search volume pretty much exclusively to pick keywords will be completely blindsided to that. You could use Google Trends to kind of like get an idea, but it's not the same data. So it, it's, it was tricky. The second thing is ads have always eaten search traffic from these keywords anyway. And so like if you were going for like commercial keywords, there could be two or three ads above your results. And even if a thousand people Google it, maybe like 20% of clicks would go to ads or something like that. And that would not make these very accurate. You also rank, like your page doesn't just rank for one keyword, right? You rank for hundreds of keywords. And so it's like, it's the whole idea of focusing on one keyword, just, it's kind of like opposite to the way search works, but it's kind of like, it's very hard for the human mind to comprehend hundreds of keywords per page, uh, how it ranks, et cetera. Right, and very hard for any software to comprehend the, the masses of traffic. What was it like two thirds of your traffic comes from keywords that have like less than 10 searches a year or something like that. And then I think there's, there's another stat, like a third of Google searches are 
totally unique. So the first time they've ever ever Actually, been Actually, it's only 15% for. now. It's a, they, they gave that date. I think it was the CEO of Alphabet that, not of Google, like the, the Indian guy that, I can't remember his name, sorry, that, that said that to Congress when he was interrogated like this year or something. So I think, I think it's a bit less now, but still 15% is quite a lot. Yeah, I wish there was a rank tracker that focused on actual landing pages and attached like hundreds of keywords to it. You can kind of get that when you look at your organic keywords for a page in Ahrefs, you know, like you put the page and you go in your organic traffic thing, it works, but like still like it's, so like when you focus on just one keyword to your keyword research, it's like, it's kind of not accurate already. And that's not counting all the changes Google has made, et cetera. Yeah, you had something about Google as well, where they, they combine similar keywords with the different matches, right? I was just uh, looking at an old Moz whiteboard Friday with uh, Mr. Rand Fishkin himself around this. And he was talking about this exact problem and how the data which AdWords is showing or was showing was actually combined data for very similar queries. So he used this example of like types of light as a query and types of lights so the plural of it and types of light would be like a physics query, you know, infra, not infrared, that's heat, but uh, ultraviolet light and all these other ones. And then types of lights would be maybe you're looking to purchase lighting for your home. So there'd be, I don't know, different types of light bulbs or different like ceiling lights or desk lights or whatever. I don't, I don't know the specifics, but Google had combined the, the data for both of those into one result, even though they're the intent's very, very different. So it's just another like kind of way which data gets, which this, this data can get skewed at the source. Yeah, also like, it's kind of tricky because Google AdWords, basically it, it, all this stuff comes from AdWords initially, right? Like initially we were checking search volume in AdWords and that was the only place where you could get search volume. Now there's like a lot of tools that give it. But AdWords actually had different types of matches, right? It had like exact match, which would be people typing the exact query. It had phrase match where the query would be included in the query. So let's say exact match would be, let's say I'm going to keep on, on, on gardening flower pots. And then phrase match for flower pots would be best flower pots, for example, because flower pots is together in this right order. But if you had best pot for flowers, it would not count as that. It would count as a broad match where every word in the query actually is included in the search query. So like even then it's been, it's been quite tricky and Google is thinking in terms of these terms. And that's also how they match pages in terms of uh, when you search something. So that's why it's been overall, it's been quite tricky. And I think that is the reason why there has been a fair amount of pushback on some keyword research tactics, keyword tools, et cetera. Like the guys at Income School, for example, just don't even use keyword tools at all. And you've heard, you've probably heard of people that say, oh, I wrote about this topic. It has no search volume, but I'm getting thousands of visits per month, et cetera, because of all these discrepancies and like you just don't. You, know, you don't actually get some very good or exact data when you do keyword research. So for yeah, I, I mean, I, I do disagree. I know you do as well. I, I disagree wholeheartedly with that position. It's not like, well, some of the data is not accurate. Therefore, we should just ignore all this data and all sources of this data forever. Like I, I fundamentally dis disagree I with disagree, that. I disagree, but I can understand where they come from. Exactly, exactly. But it's kind of like saying, oh, some medicine is wrong, so we should not go to a doctor at all, basically. It's kind of like the same approach to me. And it's like, yeah. I mean, to, to play devil's advocate, like if you had a bad batch of medicine or whatever, you know, you probably would stop trusting that specific doctor. There's arguments on both, on both exactly. sides of that. We see where it's coming from. It doesn't mean we agree with it in real life, basically. And on top of that, like, so already this model was like fairly inaccurate. There was a fair amount of pushback and there were stories to back up 
the fact that some people that did not use slash trust queued research. And that's why also these things like a queued golden ratio, for example. I don't know if you ever heard of that. Basically, I'm not a fan. <laughs> Sounds like witchcraft to me, but uh, whatever. It's like, you know, some people actually get success with that. I'm not saying that it doesn't work. I'm not saying that it doesn't match you with queues that can work. And I'm sure some people will come out and say, hey, it's working for me, etc. And I believe you. I think it, it's like you, it can work. I just don't think it's, it's very clean in terms of data. But the data itself has not been clean, perfectly clean. Therefore, uh, it, I understand why people push back on it, basically. It's the whole, like, the map is not the territory debate. Yeah. So, you know, you have all these models or analysis of of what it looks like. But in reality, it doesn't actually look like that. But even if it's kind of pointing you roughly in the right direction, you're going to make progress. Yeah, which keyword tools also do this, like all keyword tools do this as well. Just I would say they're, they're probably a better, more accurate representation of the reality than something like the KGR. Yeah. But that was like even like back in the day where essentially Google was 10 links with some ads above sometimes. Sometimes you maybe had some local results as well, like kind of Google Maps stuff has been around for a while. And around 80% of search traffic at least was going 82. I mean, depending on the query, sometimes it was 100%. Sometimes there was no ads or anything. 80% of the traffic was going to organic listings slash websites ranking. So you could closely match search volume with estimated traffic with the models of click-through rate, right? You could say people click, etc. And even though it, there's all these subtleties, it was close enough to get an idea. The problem is that this is not what Google looks like today. If you're like, if you're going to, especially if you're going like an American IP, we're in Europe, we got a little bit less of that. But like when I, I often go on uh, US VPNs, just to get an idea of like the most advanced version of Google and what kind of like they run on their most profitable markets. And it's kind of insane the amount of widgets that there is that alter that model and like uh, to a point where it's like it makes it irrelevant in my opinion. So first of all, you have feature snippets and the knowledge graph as well. You know, the panel on the right, like let's say you Google someone or something, you get all the information and the field snippets try to answer your questions very often. So if you type like how to tie my shoelaces, then you, you know, it will pull an image and then it will just try give you a bullet point instruction, I guess, in that case on like how to tie your shoelaces. And what that results in is no clicks. And so it's already departing a little bit away from that model of like clicks rate and all that stuff, et cetera. Then you have the people also ask is popping on most queries now, I would say like we, we did a, we did that data study. I think it was around 60%, but to be honest, I feel like every time I Google something, I see it where essentially it takes questions related to your query. So, you know, if it was like how to tie your shoelaces, it would be how long should your shoelaces be, you know, like should you tie your shoelaces differently if you're left-handed or right-handed, whatever it is, like there could be these kind of queries or questions and you click on it and essentially it generates a feature snippet for that based on the web page and it gives you a link to that web page below that. That's, that's what it does. And so essentially it does the same thing as feature snippet, except it requires one more action from the user, which is clicking on the exact question and it explains, gives you a feature snippet. And if you want more, you can click on that page, but many times it will result in no click as well. Then one thing that has been developing a lot in the last updates, in my opinion, is carousels. Carousels, including things like YouTube videos. These are usually like number one or two position for a lot of queries that are like tutorials, etc. because people do like watching YouTube videos. Products. So if you do like best X for Y, so I was checking in one of the niches that we're working in for that site that we were building. And I saw a lot of like, basically you type best product and it would just like put a list of the products with the names. 
And when you clicked on it, it actually just Googles the name of the product with a feature snippet on top. So you might either get the information, but also if it just Googles the name of the product, they change the search intent, which means that usually review sites don't show up as high and it's usually e-commerce sites showing up higher. So like it kind of like screws up a bit of third marketing here in the sense that because it doesn't have that best search intent, then it's different results. And these results are usually buying results directly, not affiliate stuff. So it's it's kind of redirecting some affiliate traffic to e-commerce, basically. You have places, so, you know, locations. So if I'm Googling, for example, things to do in Budapest, then I'm going to get a carousel on top with like a list of locations. I'm going to click. It's probably going to open in Google Map or having some kind of like map listing with on the right. I'm going to have some knowledge graph about what this is. Don't need to click either. It works for movies as well. Um, you know, you can actually Google the movie screenings around you, right? So you, you can say times to see, I don't know what movie is going to be out right now, but like times to see Joker, for example, Star Wars. And it actually is going to pull all the cinema listings around you and the times at which they play it so that you can pick which cinema you want to go to. And then you get a carousel for that. So yeah, that is the kind of stuff that actually also results in either no organic click for that query or just people Googling another query that's often detrimental to you because you might not be ranking for it. Essentially, it's shortcuts to other Google queries. We also have one thing I saw while I was preparing this podcast, and I saw illustrated related searches. So you see, you remember how at the bottom of um, search results, you have this kind of like six to eight like related queries thing? On some American SERPs, I've seen them, but let's say, I, can, I think I Google like best SEO tools, I mean, just to check. And instead of just being a really small list of words, it was actually the logos of companies for SEO tools. So it would be like Google AdWords, Ahrefs, SEMrush, et cetera. And it would just be like a carousel of, of companies as related search. And finally, one thing that we inflict to ourselves as webmasters, which is the FAQ schema, which a lot of people are starting to implement. Essentially, you can add FAQ to your own page, which uh, gives you more real estate on the page. But it also means that it results in more in less clicked searches. If you give the answer on the sub, then people might not click on your results. So sometimes you're actually feeding Google with that data that will give you no click. So I know that people have reported to get more clicks from this FAQ schema, but it kind of like screws everyone else up. <laughs> just, just to throw another spanner into the works as well. So uh, our friend Niall, he has a, like a review site and he actually had in the Google search like, What's it called when you when you have uh, like site links type things underneath his site? But they were affiliate link. They were his affiliate links to the products he was recommending. So essentially, people had the option to bypass his site. I mean, he was still getting the ultimate reward of people clicking through to his recommendation, which is good. It just he wouldn't have the data of traffic to his site because they bypassed his site completely. Which is, I mean, it's a good thing, but it just it shows you how just looking at that metric of clicks to your site is is even further off as well, but kind of in the other direction. Yeah, apparently you can put affiliate links in FAQ schema as well. So it's like, uh, just saying, <laughs> just dropping this in there. But yeah, but all of these means that essentially like that, like if we go back to that model that we described at the beginning, which is like people Google stuff, there's a model for click through rate and that's it. I mean, first of all, the model for click through rate, you can throw it out the window with like all these new things. And the thing is like Google is generating these SERP layouts on the fly. Like most queries just don't look the same in terms of page structure anymore. And so that means that your thing of like, oh, the first result is going to get 42% of uh, search traffic. Uh, and then the second is going to get like 27 or something. 
they, you can just throw it out the window. It's kind of irrelevant at this point because of the way it looks. And every query is going to have different click-through rates. So unless you actually have access to that data, and there's a company that tries to simulate that data using Chrome extensions and things like that to capture people's behavior on search pages, and then extrapolating that to get an idea. Again, not accurate, not very accurate data, but the most accurate we can get. If you don't have access to that data, like forget about any kind of estimation of how much clicks you're going to get for any query, which kind of like messes up with like how much search volume you should do for, for minimum, et cetera, et cetera. But like on top of that, because of all these things, 50% of search queries now result in no clicks uh, in the US, at least in the US. As I said, we have less of these search widgets in Europe, for example. So I do believe that there's still more than 50 searches that probably 50% of searches that result in clicks. But the fun part as well is that let's say you Google like best SEO tools and there's a carousel and you click on the SEO machine and then it just Googles SEO merge for you. That counts as a click, right? So that means that 50% of the clicks that are remaining, actually many of them are to Google properties. So that can be YouTube, that can be Google Maps, that can be another query, like related searches. If you click on people also ask, does that count as a click? I'm not sure how that works, you know, but like I would say probably. And if you click on ads, it's also a click, right? So actually, if you remove all of that, I would say some queries get very a lot less than 50% of clicks to organic websites ranking, you know, if you take all of that, which really, really, really messes up with all of that. And I think, I mean, that's something that I think SEOs have kind of started integrating last year, more than they have the year before, I'd say. But I'm still shocked to see a lot of like keyword, like I was Googling for like keyword research guides that have been published in the last three months, you know? I'm still shocked to see that like the number one metric that is recommended is search volume. For, so I'm gonna name and shame here. We actually been recommending them for a while. Mangools, like a keyword finder, has updated or released a new guide. I'm not sure, you know, like we, since everyone's just updating in November, 2019. And there's no mention at all of, of this. It's just based, still based on search volume and all of that. And it's the same on like videos I see on YouTube, et cetera. And like, it feels like people still do keyword research like in 2008, you know? And I think it needs to change in, in your head. And that's why we're doing this episode, even though it's like, kind of like, I feel like I'm really trying to have another point. I'm just gonna anecdotally mention it later on, but I, I want to point this to a lot of people. And also like when I watch competitors pushing content and I'm checking the query, I'm like, this basically gets no clicks or something, or like there's so much noise on the SERPs that it's not gonna help a lot. Yeah, I feel a lot of people still don't apply this, even though they kind of understand, they don't act on it and they still act like it's 2008. So I think it's time to change. So that is kind of like the main point. I don't want to like ramble more on this. I just wanted to make that point. But what we're going to be talking about now is like things to change. Like how do you adapt to this? And I don't think you need to throw everything away that you knew about keyword research. I reshot actually the, um, the keyword research blueprint late last year. So it's like a few months old now. And I this is, for people that don't know, this is a blueprint we have in Authority Hacker Pro, our premium training. Yeah. So if, you, if you're a member, you can, you can check that out. If not, go to authorityhacker.com forward slash subscribe, and we'll let you know as soon as, as soon as it's available next time. Yeah, it's not right now. It's, it's a few months before we, we do it. But when we make it available, we'll let you know. So yeah, I've reshot that training and uh, tried to have a point that I'm making this podcast, but at the same time, not throw everything off. So let's talk about the metrics that I think that you should look at instead of search volume. And my favorite metric for keyword research at this point now is the traffic estimate per page from Ahrefs. Because you know we mentioned that a page ranks for 
hundreds, thousands of keywords really depends on the reach you get on that page, but a lot of keywords, right? And that metric, it's kind of like an arbitrary number. Like if they say 1,000, it doesn't mean you're going to get 1,000 visits. It's just a number you get to compare with other pages, right? Let's say I Google a keyword. Let's say I'm going back to best uh, flower pots. Um, Ahrefs is going to give me the breakdown of the top 10 results, and it's going to give me a number in front of each page of an estimated traffic they get, which is a number between uh, zero and infinity, but it rarely goes above, let's say, 100,000. So what it tells me is like, oh, number one gets 1,000, number two gets 300, and number four gets 100, number five gets 50 or something. And what it tells me is, it, first of all, it gives me a drop-off which is really interesting. For example, like I can see the page that has the featured snippet, how much traffic they get versus the page that doesn't have the featured snippet. And it's a summary of all the keywords that page ranks for. So I'm starting to cluster things in terms of topic, not just keywords. And we try to you know, attach keywords to that page so that we can rank for most of them and modeling after the pages that wrote about that topic that have a lot of traffic. So we use that. Actually, Neil Patel is trying to build that metric into um, Ubersuggest as well. It's not here for every site and every page. So like I was checking on some queries and it's like, you know, three pages had that number and then the others did not. So Ahrefs has had that for a long time as well. So you can see the history and so on. So Ahrefs is still much better at this point. But if you don't, if you can't afford Ahrefs or if you don't have it, you might get a glimpse of that inside uh, Ubersuggest, which is free. Pretty impressive for a free tool. Just, just want to add that. Yeah, yeah. It's not there yet, but you know, I imagine that over time they might crawl more stuff and kind of like at least have historical data. So even if it's like not the freshest data, it's still kind of interesting to see. So yeah, that's the metric that I personally use when I do keyword research. That's the number one thing that I use. Then the second after that is actually the click data. I mentioned that there's a company called Clickstream that captures that data, but you don't need to go to Clickstream, actually. Uh, Ahrefs and also Suggest actually offer that data. So a one free, one paid option, right? But one thing I like in Ahrefs that you don't get in Suggest is the clicks per search. So it's interesting as well. The way people search, people assume that people Google stuff and then they get results and they click on one result and that's it. Very often, that's not... Think about yourself Googling stuff, right? You click on a page and it's kind of shit. So you go back and you click on another one and you go back and you click on another one. And Ahrefs captures that data. At least they give that to you from Clickstream. And some queries will have two, three clicks per search. So sometimes you have a query, let's say that has a thousand search volume that actually generates like 3000 clicks because people are clicking on multiple results. For example, coupon queries are a good one. Many coupon sites have expired coupons that are shit. Therefore, people try to Google that coupon query and go on one site, doesn't work, go back, go on another site, doesn't work and do that. And then many coupon queries have like three, four, five, six. I've seen nine clicks per search on some queries. Uh, so people like that is an example of, of something that will have a lot of clicks. So a coupon query with a thousand search volume might have 9,000 clicks, right? Now imagine a query, let's say, I'm going to like hold the Taylor Swift, whatever. Let's imagine it also has a thousand search volume. But the problem is like the feature snippet is going to answer the query. I don't know how old she is. Uh, let's say she's like 31 or something or 30. I don't know. It's just going to say Taylor Swift 30 years old. And then it's going to have a thousand search volume and like 10 clicks randomly on like sites around or something. So for the same amount of search volume, you might have a query that generates 9,000 clicks to ranking websites. And you have another query that generates 10 clicks. And that shows you how irrelevant search volume is. Like one query would generate hundreds of times more traffic with the same search volume. So if you base your keyword research on search volume, it makes absolutely no sense at all anymore. 
and that's why we kind of like don't use this at all. I, I just use it as like a pre-filter thing, you know, I just like it's probably one of the first filter I apply and then I look deeper. But yeah, so the second thing we look at is the clicks per search slash click data so that it's quite interesting the clicks per search as well because let's say there's like three or four clicks per search on a query, then that means that you can afford to be lower on the page. So you don't have to be number one because people historically have been going through multiple pages for that query anyway. So you don't have to aim to be number one. You can aim to be three, four and still get a decent amount of search traffic. And I think that's the kind of like opportunities that SEOs don't really think too much about. Whereas if a query only has like 1.02 clicks per search, for example, like you get that kind of number, then that means that most of the time the top two results are going to snag all the traffic and you will see it through the traffic data. Yeah. So it tells you it's really worth fighting for in that case. You need to be high up to actually get the traffic and the traffic is higher there versus the, the queries that have more clicks. You can afford to be low on the page and you can afford to plan for a keyword where you might not be able to beat the top one, two or something. So, which is quite interesting. It changes the way, it changes a lot the way you pick keywords and topics, basically. Another thing that I want to talk about is actually the problem with feature snippets, right? So I mentioned it like this, the how this Taylor Swift example. Like a lot of people, when they get the answer directly from the feature snippet, they don't click on any result. And that's what feeds a lot of these like 50% of queries get no clicks. That's that's because the feature snippet is giving the answer. You don't need to go on any website. It generates no clicks to ranking uh, websites. One thing that I've noticed as I was looking a lot at click data in the last few months is that it's pretty simple. It's pretty easy to now predict, for me to predict, which queries are going to generate clicks to ranking websites and which queries are not. And usually, so a feature snippet is actually technically limited to 300 characters at the time at which I'm writing for most of them. I'm sure there is something like, you know, Google's testing a lot of stuff around that. So I'm sure some people might find examples, but most feature snippets are around 300 characters and they follow that format that limits it at this much. And it really depends on the query, right? If you ask how old is Taylor Swift, 300 characters is plenty to explain how old she is. But if you ask, how do I manually set the aperture of my DSLR camera so that I don't get grain in my in my footage. Then 300 characters might not be enough to explain everything that you need for that. So what we found is writing about more complex topics that are difficult to explain in 300 characters is almost always correlating with queries that get more clicks. And it's interesting. I mean, you say, well, you can just look at the click data. Why are you trying to take this concept? Because as we said, pages rank for hundreds of keywords and you can't really check all the keywords. But once you understand the overarching principle, you can check your main keyword, make sure there's decent click uh, click going for that query and then be like, okay, thinking of all the long tail questions, et cetera, that relate to this article, can most of them be explained in 300 characters? And if not, or if it's like not complete, I think in my example in Chiang Mai SEO, I had like how to grow lettuce, for example, and the, the feeder snippet was terrible. Then write about it because that's when you can generate clicks. So that is kind of like an overarching principle that we've been following that's been working really well for us. And finally, a last point I want to make on this podcast, actually, it's going to be a short one, but I think it's a very important one. I, lo I love how you say this is going to be a short podcast and it's still like longer than most other people's podcasts. So. Yeah, it's like, uh, it's seven Neil Patel podcasts, but still, by the way, I, I actually listened to Neil Patel's podcast, so, uh, so that's how I know. Traffic quality versus traffic quantity, right? It's like, we have done a lot more work in, uh, in our analytics recently. We still have a lot of work to do, but we've done a lot more work. And we've realized that our conversion rate from page to page, is, the variation is insane, right? So some pages will be like 0.2% conversion rate, and some pages will be 8 9% conversion rate. We're talking about the number of people who opt in, yeah. 
But like even for affiliate stuff, like uh, when I check on affiliate stuff, it's kind of the same. What that means is like a big way of how we do keyword research now is actually not based on potential traffic, but rather based on conversion rate. So we kind of like identify the keyword footprint, for example. And then if a keyword footprint is generating a lot of revenue, then we'll produce the article regardless, even if it's a 20 search volume keyword or 30 search volume keyword, because the opt-in rate is so good or the conversion rate on the offer is so good that one visit from like that, that you know type of keyword is worth like a hundred visits from other types of keywords. And so I know a lot of people in this community are not very good at analytics. <laughs> and to be honest, I don't think we're excellent at it. I think we're okay and we can do we can still do better. We're investing quite heavily in this right now. But like keyword research based or topic research based on analytics data has been by far the most profitable for us. Like I can definitely see the needle moving in terms of like and like, you know, sales, revenue, whatever, affiliate commissions, when we base this off existing conversion data, way more than when I do keyword research slash topic research based off a keyword tool. So I think keyword tools are a great place to start and to kind of like test the waters on different things. But eventually you want to find these kind of like keyword footprints that are just working for you and just ignore search volume at that point and just like mass produce this like similar content so you can capture more search traffic for that. So that's essentially the main point I wanted to drive on this podcast. Do you want to add anything to that? Because that was a pretty long monologue on my... This is a Gale episode. Not really, to be honest. Just that like for any perfectionist out there thinking like uh, about this, like you can't ever have a perfect set of data and a perfect set of understanding. There's a really good quote in the authority hacker pro facebook group this morning by i think it was michael gillespie a winston churchill quote nonetheless he said like perfectionism is the enemy of progress it really like bothers me when i'm not that i do that much keyword research but when i'm looking at these kinds of things that the data is inaccurate and i'm like oh well what if everything else i'm doing is inaccurate but at the end of the day all this is doing is like it's a step forward in data accuracy or modeling reality accuracy i guess so use it if you can but don't feel like this is the end of everything like there will be further developments along this uh, along the way but this is i think the best possible source of data to use for for now basically yeah and it's kind of refining right it's like still like click data is being made available to people like now there starts to be also the age of the searchers which is quite interesting so if you're selling products and you have like a buyer persona you can actually find out like how old most people that Google Aquarii are, which it's not perfect, but it's quite interesting. And for us, like when we would for some stuff, we know exactly what kind of people buy stuff and we are able to cater to these people with the queries. And if you find like a too young demographic, for example, for usually older people buy more stuff online. It's kind of like a given. Yeah. So if we find that the demographic doesn't match, then for example, we won't go after it. So it's kind of refining is still not perfect. I don't think it will ever be perfect. But it's something that you have to accept and you just shouldn't push back on that. You should just do the best you can, basically. And that's why we need to build all these mental models to make up for the inaccuracy of the data that we are dealing with, basically. And that's why, like, scientifics probably would go crazy if they started doing SEO. It's like the epitome of how it is not an exact science. So that is it for this episode. 
I hope you enjoyed it. If you want more nerdy stuff like that, we actually have a free webinar on the homepage of Atari Hacker. Pitch our course at the end, but there is two hours of free training in there as well that um, talks about that kind of stuff. So if you want to see it, it shows you exactly how to start a brand new uh, stage one authority site. And if you have not subscribed yet to the podcast, you can hit us up on whatever platform you want. We are on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, anything you want, really. And uh, drop us a review if you haven't done that yet. So thank you for listening. We'll see you next week for another episode. Bye.